Now, my name's Pure today and has been for many, many years, and I'm here with uh, Catherine Burkett, who's my brainy mate. And Catherine, I've got questions, but introduce yourself properly, <laughs> properly. Kia ora, Catherine Burkett. Um, yeah, fantastic to be here. So excited about these podcast series. Uh, we're going to change the world, Pure. We're going to yeah, yeah, change yeah, the world, yeah. which we can. And we're yeah. a couple of mates, so it's not, you know, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm <laughs> which getting, is good, which yeah, is good. <laughs> and I'm getting over my shyness. Hey, Here's a co-papa. Everybody's talking about resilience or the lack of resilience. And one of the things with my beautiful three sons, I never ever told them to harden up. You know that Kiwi thing? Mate, harden up. Have another teaspoon of cement and harden up. You know, I just wanted my boys to be strong and, and, and malleable and, and, you know, and and um, I, I think it was a good choice on my part to say not harden up, but resilience. People are talking about it. What's your, what, what's your whakaro around that? Yeah, so it's a buzzword, isn't it? We've got it written that's everywhere. It. Let's be resilient. What does it actually look like? And that's what I love about this neuroscience stuff is because yeah. we can sort of drill down into what does it look like in our bodies. Um, resilience is the ability to feel. And and <laughs> you should see Pure's face right now. Like, <laughs> what? 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 What's this Speak English stuff? woman. <laughs> <laughs> and and and. Being in a moment of feeling, and, and that moment, by the way, could be a, a long period of time, being in that space of feeling is really therapeutic. So um, the word anxiety at the moment, we're talking a lot about anxiety and anxious and feeling anxious. And when our kids start to feel anxious or when we start to feel anxious, our instant desire is to get us out of that. Get out of it. Make them happy. Laugh at them. Right. Find something else. Distract them. Get them away from it. Actually, if I'm anxious and I stay tolerably anxious, and we're going to talk about the difference between tolerable and intolerable, but tolerable means you've still got an ability to reflect on yourself and right. be aware. You're operating. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm heightened. My heart rate's up and stuff like that, so I'm anxious. But if I go there, I go, why am I anxious? And I know this is a bit of a ridiculous example, but it was on the on the radio the other day. They were talking about full inboxes, right, and how many emails have you got in your inbox? So we'll use it as a bit of an example. And if I stay in that anxiety with, with an ability to think about it because I'm resilient – I go, oh, I'm feeling so anxious because I've got too many emails. Well, actually, why don't I set up a system? Or why don't I do something to stop all those emails? And, and so, do you see, being in that stress point, in that stretching into the uncomfortable, pushes me into the changing it. Um, if I am angry, and I'm going, I'm so angry, and I stay enough resilient, t uh, tolerably active, I go, why am I angry? Because that person is doing this. Actually, I'm going to talk to them. I'm definitely going to talk right. to them. I'm going to let them know how I feel. Or I'm actually not going to spend time with that person anymore. I'm going to make a conscious decision not to. So if we can hold a little bit of that, that green brain we talked about, that ability to reflect, that ability to be present, but still be tolerably activated, that's the first part of resilience. Because be, to be in that space is therapeutic. And even with grief and sadness, staying there and allowing yourself to be there and to remember that person or the people or the space or whatever it is you're grieving about is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, right. we, we, why do I want to jump out of that? Why do I want to leave that space? Because it's okay, but we keep saying, get out of it, laugh out of it, I'll get you out of it, this is how you get out of it. Actually staying there isn't such a bad thing as long as we can hold it tolerably. And that's the first part of resilience. Yeah. The yeah. second part is activating out of it. And that's important too. But actually staying there, that's resilience. Wow. Wow. Because, um, and <laughs> speaking from experience, we've all lived, uh, I've, you know, getting on in years, but um, 
getting out of it, using different things to get out of that um, out of that space of grief or whatever. Sometimes we don't make the best choices, do we? You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and and that's about being being able to train your body. Yep. to physiologically bring you out of it without having to use other things, such as drugs and alcohol. 100% that brings us out of it because it makes us stop thinking about those things, but it's not a healthy way to be. Um, some people do use exercise, which can be good because it does help you physiologically come out of it, but by avoiding it, um, it distracting ourselves too much and not physiologically calming down, it's not healthy. Yeah. And, and, and also it doesn't build up the capacity to stay there. And this is the beautiful thing, to stay in that space is okay. Yeah, you keep saying that. I like what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but we get so and, – and harden up. So so our kids, you know, they get – harden up. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Because we're with our kids so much more, and I'm generalising, but in our modern world we're with our kids a lot more. If we think about when we were little, we were left to play by ourselves quite a bit. We usually had bigger whanos, we had more siblings around us. And we, we had a quarter acre section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and our parents, or my parents went out, milked, worked on the farm and everything like that. And so you weren't continuously monitored by an adult. And and you you, you weren't brought out of that. So you actually learnt. And, and boredom is another thing, is just yeah. staying in that space and becoming creative. But... But we, we, we try and distract our kids, pull them out of these these emotionally um, tolerable spaces because it makes us feel better. And when our parents aren't around us, they leave us there for a lot longer. So we're actually better off to not have adults yeah, around yeah, us to yeah, do yeah. much. Do you see, we actually get it wrong often as parents because we over-parent, over, over really, in yeah. lots of spaces. But you're quite right. I mean, when we were kids growing up in West Auckland, um, you know, we knew get home at dark because if you didn't, you'd miss out on a feed. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and just that basic stuff. And, 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 and just seeing my boys grow up in a semi-rural area, you know, I see them playing in the creek and making judgments in their mind about climbing trees mm-hmm. or jumping into that pool that always check and, you know, because we had a creek down the rest of it. But then I thought to myself, those skills that these boys are developing are actually skills they can take into the boardroom one day mm-hmm. because uh, they know how to back themselves, they understand their emotions more. Are we in a situation with a lot of our tamariki who aren't doing those things is that part of the issue where resilience is is not as common? Yeah, and, and by, by understanding the neuroscience of this, we understand that we are getting it wrong. In a generalised sense, we are getting it wrong, but it's because the world's changing so fast. So to build resilience, we need to have multiple moments of tolerable stress. Right. And and we think, oh, what does that mean? Well, we need to be and, – and as a baby, we're in a sensitised time to learn it. Just like in, as a baby, we were sensitised to learning language. Do you remember when you were a baby um, learning – did you learn two languages when you were a baby or just the one? Pretty much two. Two, probably, I was thinking. So when you thought think about the first year or two learning English and Māori, did you think about it? Did you concentrate on it? Did you did you or nah. did you just accidentally learn it because people Are you asking me to focus? Did I ever focus? <laughs> right, you didn't, no, did you? I didn't. Have you tried to learn another language as an adult? Yes. <laughs> did you have to focus? Yes, and it still right. wasn't that successful. <laughs> I was going to China and I thought I'd try but now they got this app. You can say, uh, can I have two beers, please? And they're, they're, Right, yes, you don't need to lazy, worry about it. Lazy. <laughs> but, but the difference between the early years and now is that then you're in a sensitised period for learning language. So you accidentally learn it just by hanging around it. Yeah. 
And so immersion. Yeah, and because our brain was soaking it up, we talk about our kids being sponges. It's in that space to learn it. It wasn't in the learn uh, space to learn Pythagoras theorem because that wasn't essential for that base brain learning languages. Mm. So what we know is in the first thousand days we are sensitized to learning resilience, which means in the first thousand days we needed multiple moments of tolerable stress. And if I said to you, take your beautiful baby, take them home and activate their stress response, <laughs> and you would say, see you later, Catherine, you crazy yeah. woman. You're not my brainy mate anymore. <laughs> You're yeah, a crazy yeah, yeah. woman. Yeah. And, and, but what we know and what I do when I do these trainings is I, is I make people understand that if you play peekaboo with your baby and you hide your face from them, yeah. they are for a millisecond scared right? because they think you've gone. <laughs> you've left them alone yeah. and you'll see their little bodies tense up a little bit which is the fight flight response which is an activation of the sympathetic nervous system right. they actually clench up and then when you pull your hands away and you go boo their messages they're back yep. and they relax you see their little bodies go huh, yep. and they relax and then <gasps> and, they, and they're into the stress out again in. and do you see this is a moment of tolerable Stress. You are clever. That's hey, cool. Isn't man. that amazing? Yeah, but that. Yeah, but you know, I'm such a basic <laughs> bloke, as you know. The, but the secret is, you have to be present. You have to be connected. You have to be with that child. You have to be not on your phone or your computer, but actually doing that stuff, eh? Which you know it was. So you've already identified two things that are impacting multiple moments of tolerable stress. Right. One is. Increased whānau groups. Yep. So we had around four people per child. We had the grandparents around. And by the way, when I say grandparents, it doesn't have to be biological grandparents, no. the older generation. We had parents around that generation, and we had kids. And when you think about living on the marae with all of these people present, how often do you think peekaboo was played with this baby compared to now? <laughs> yeah. With And even if we have a two-parent you know, space, usually it's only one parent at a time that's with them who's also... You know, yeah, because they're right. It's right. No, you, you you do it, love, and I can do this, or you, yeah. which is actually wrong, eh? We should do it. Yeah, it's just, it's just, we we've, we've got this new idea of how we're supposed to raise children. So the first one is the the smaller final unit. So so if we have all these multiple people around, multiple, you think about um, anxiety. Has, we have to activate anxiety. And then calm down. So that's a moment of tolerable stress. Yep. And so for our kids, our little babies in the sensitised period, how do we make them anxious? This little piggy went to market. <laughs> this little piggy stayed home. And their little bodies tense up and they're all worried about what's going to happen with this little piggy. Yeah. And then you go, wee, 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 the piggy gets home. And you see their bodies whew, relax because the little piggy got home. Yeah. And you've activated them into a tolerable activation of feeling anxious about what's going to happen to the piggy. And then because of your presence, yep. they then feel safe again because Piggy got home. We read them stories about witches kidnapping children and taking them into the forest. Right. And they're freaking out. Or you tell them the stories, the, 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 the tales of Māori and what Maui did and he went and stole the fire and all that sort of stuff. And you see them going, oh, what's going to happen? And then whew, everything ends up safe at the end. I, I'd just like to point out here that this is all good. Hundred percent. Because you're training, you're, you're you're training their body and their mind and their facado and their their way of thinking to have these tolerable moments of stress. Stress, yes. Yes. If if you if I liken it to the learning to lift a weight. Yeah. 
you lift a weight. If you haven't practiced lifting a weight, your body doesn't know how to lift that weight. Yeah. And we have to practice this. So if I said take your kid home and scare them, make them anxious and stuff like that, you wouldn't. But do you see what we did? We created games and interactive spaces. We didn't we didn't create something where our babies go off by themselves and activate the stress response. All of these things are in relationship. In this space where this person we trust can make us feel safe again. This person makes us feel unsafe. And it was like this beautiful story um, when I was teaching this in one of the sessions. And this father goes, oh, I get it now. And he was playing monsters with his kids, with his little two-year-old. And he'd be this big monster and he'd chase him around and go, I'm going to chase you. And at a certain point, his little fella would stop, turn around and run to his dad and hug his leg. And he's like, but I'm the monster. You're supposed yeah, to be yeah, scared. Yeah. But this kid had got to the tolerable level. And he needed now to be safe. And he knew that dad wasn't the monster, but he was fine with dad being the monster until he actually needed him. And dad was like, why are you turning around and grabbing me again? Because he needed to calm down at that point. And it was too scary. The monster was too scary. Now he's my dad and he'd grab his leg and then calm down. And there's so many stories people share with me when I tell them this. All of the listeners will be thinking, ping, ping, ping. That's what I do. And we naturally play yep. with our babies, with our toddlers, and create moments of tolerable stress. But the most important thing at that age is there must be a relationship there to return them to calm. Otherwise, they're not practicing the most vital part of it, and that's that coming out. Yeah, yeah. This stuff's fascinating. Um, I think about sometimes the negative stuff that our kids get. Okay, uh, the, you know, you're talking about the games and the stuff and, 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 and the way we talk to them and, and the peekaboo games and all that stuff. If kids are getting the negative side, if they're not, number one, not getting that interaction or, um, you know, the way we talk to our kids, the way we communicate to our kids, what does that do to their resilience? Yeah, so so what we need to do if we're thinking this and, and what I try and do if I'm working with people supporting the process is become the baby. What 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 do you think the baby experienced in those first thousand days? And we all have moments of overactivated stress response. You know, like our babies lose the plot and they get you know, we don't maybe get the milk heated up in time or we we don't realise they needed that and they, they get into overactivated stress. That's 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 called normal. Yep. What we want is where's the balance? How often did they practice calming down and how often did they overactivate? And so you're absolutely right. If we have every now and then we have a bit of an issue and we have some bad, or I have a bad day and I'm not responsive to my child, that's really not going to be an issue if most of the days. And by the way, if I had four or five people around me, right. it wouldn't matter if I had a bad day yeah, because, because somebody wasn't having a bad day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why we shouldn't be parenting on our own. Um, but if we are, it's okay to get it wrong sometimes, right? So that's it's when the balance is tipped. And the issue with some of our environments is not only do our kids get overactivated due to the chaos going around them, the, the intense feelings that are around them. But because of all that going on in the environment, often those adults haven't got the capacity to make that child feel safe. And if that body's not activating into that calm enough, it's not practicing, it's not lifting the weight of right. calm. Right. And so it's the two-edged sword. Not only are they overactivating a lot, are not practicing the calming down, which is why when we look at environments and we can identify even one, one safe person, you know, they turn up once a week and they make this child feel calm, even that could potentially be the difference to growing up with enough of a foundation to, to you know, reach potential. So it's that relationship. If we can't take away the bad, yeah. we put in the good. 
Yeah. And 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 that's enough. Obviously, we don't. We I'd much prefer in my rose coloured in my rose coloured glasses world. We take away all the bad. But if we and 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 by the way, the bad is a consistently bad. I lose my temper with my kids even when they were little. I had bad days. It's not a problem. We're talking about consistency of those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been a whole lot of talk about um, our tamariki and foster care. Right, um, and there's a whole lot of them in foster care. Um, there's cases that I see on the news about people who have, you know, have been treated terribly in 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 the care of other people. Run me through that. What happens when a child um, goes through two or three or even sometimes a lot more different uh, relationships that don't last very long? And what what effect does that have on their resilience? Yeah, so obviously talking about this, some people listening to this, we talked about stressors and sandpapers and red brain. This yeah. is going to be really difficult to hear, but I will never um, sugarcoat things because I, only if we know the, the honest outcomes can we truly make a difference. So, and, and all kids are different. We're born with different genetics. Some of us are born with this just desire to be noticed and desire to have connection way up the top of the scale. And some kids don't really mind. They're quite almost internally self-secure. So obviously that's going to have a big difference on this process. So remember genetics. Um, but if you if you have one change of um, parents, so, so say you're born and um, that baby goes immediately to a person who makes them feel loved and connected, and I, I talk about attunement, someone who can recognise this baby's needs and appropriately respond. Now, I'm an expert in this field, but if yep. you gave me a newborn baby right now, <laughs> I could not <laughs> tell you what they're wanting and I could not appropriately respond. So the only way you can be attuned to a baby is via a relationship. So, and that baby has to communicate what they need. And so a newborn baby says, I'm crying because I'm hungry, I'm irritated because I'm wet, you know, and you respond to that. And they go, oh, I feel safe. My expectations are met. I can trust this world to give me what I need. Mm. So if you have one change of caregiver quite early on and you have that consistent caregiver for the rest of your life, there is, it's unlikely that there is going to be a major impact there, right? Because they'll trust that person and they'll grow Negative that. impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be a negative not impact. Not going to be a ne- yeah, negative yeah. impact, sorry. And so, and we'll always put on the fact that there can be a new throw things, which we can talk about in another podcast. So yep. there's always variables in this. However, if that child learns to trust that person and then they go to another relationship. We're up to number two. Uh, yep. Number two now. Yeah. Now that next person if I've got an awareness of the person before, I miss, you know, this, this person's different. They smell different. They And by the way, it could be a whānau placement. It could be someone who is biologically related to this child. But actually, if the child doesn't know them, yeah. they're not safe. And the person doesn't know this baby. And, 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 and you can't know this person. If you're whānau, you're more likely to be desiring to create a connection with this child. So it is probably a, a, a better space. Um, but that person has to have the capacity to... Yeah. Recognize the needs of that child and appropriately respond. Yep. But for that, until that happens, this child is in a relationship where if you do peekaboo, they ain't going to calm down. Because if a stranger comes out from behind those um, hands, yeah, it's worse. It's worse. Yeah. So they are at that moment overactivating the stress response until they feel safe. Do you see this? And yes. so when we start to realize that, we go, just a minute, that could have been a week or two. And you think about how much practice your babies have of calming down in a couple of weeks. 
And then they get to know this person. They go, okay, that's cool. I can trust this person. And that person attunes to the baby. And so we're all good. And so, again, it would totally depend on the child's, you know, personality mm. basis. Mm. But then we might still be ish. But you do that again. Which happens. And, and like some people talk about, and we heard, um, we were working with Nathan Makaiti um, Wallace yesterday, and he talks about the fact that if, if you're a caregiver and you know you're only going to have this baby for a certain amount of time, that will limit your ability to attune to the baby. You'll stay behind, you, you won't try and know them and get in, you know, because you have to give them away again. And so when we think about all these variables, multiple placements of our babies has a significantly increased likelihood of damaging resilience. And that, in the long term, when you feel your grief without a resilient basis, yep. that's when we start to snap. That's when things go really wrong. And we go, well, just a minute, this person was 14 and this happened. That must have been their choice. Actually, we could go back to the fact that they didn't have that foundational resilience. Chilled up. Chilled up. This happens and we can't expect them to go back to that basis because they don't trust. They don't feel they can't get back to that green brain and make that good decision. And remember, all of that is so different for our kids, but there's a, certainly an increased likelihood that we're um, damaging resilience by multiple placements of our, of our tamariki. Wow. Because um, when there was a lot of talk with regard to um, our tamariki Māori, um, you know, just as, and, and that's not my area of work, but I thought, oh, yeah, really great, really great, but are our systems in place to, to take our tamariki back, you know? And and um, you're talking about the the ability for whānau to make those relationships quicker, to have more drive to make those relationships, and hopefully most cases, uh, it's got to be a good thing for us. 100% because if we set up a system where if we take a baby into our whānau, into our, into our community, and say you've got bub, but I'm there as well, and you're just feeling a bit down, and I grab bub for a couple of days, and you grab, that's not a problem because the consistency. Then you get bub back, and they go, oh, it's peel back again. Yeah. And I smell him, and I remember him, because that's how babies work on smell and, and how you hold them. And, and they don't remember you as a person. They remember those things about you. So then they come back to me, and then they go to auntie, and then they go to granddad. And, and that's okay because they have that consistency. We want one main person to be there. But what we don't want is them to go to you and be with you for a long period of time. And then yep. you go, actually, I'm over this. I can't do this anymore. Hey, Catherine, you take them away. And so I take them in a whole different space and they never see you again. Why We need to create these systems where this baby stays with the people they know. And it yep. can be multiple caregivers supporting each other. And, and like we're saying, once this baby goes through one or two changes, their survival system their ability to tell you what they need gets dampened down. Right. So they don't peep when they're hungry because they've given up. That's no use because that person just didn't feed me when I was hungry. Yeah. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to, or I'm going to overreact. There's two different ways that they could go. And so then as a caregiver, you're like, I don't understand this kid. I don't get what they're, and I can't understand them. So you know what? Why doesn't somebody else do do this? And I then will pass them on. So the more times this kid goes through a different space, the, the less they can communicate accurate, accurately, and, and communication is through nonverbals when they're babies, and the less the adult can attune to baby, yeah. so the less resilient, so they don't feel safe anymore. So we're not playing these games. We're not playing 
yeah. putting them into moments of terrible stress. At the child's expense. At the child's expense. That's the thing. Hundred percent. Yeah. And then they get naughtier and naughtier, and by the time they're seven years old, nobody wants them. Because they're so hard. And and why? How can you blame this child who's living in red brain? If I lived in red brain, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. want to be anywhere near and me. And it's a product of that system. It's not an excuse. It's a reality. It's a reality. And your guy at, at, at jail saying, "I've lived in my red brain all my life." Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet he's not a nice person, but actually he is in his green brain. Oh. A lovely, a lovely man, but he was never allowed to get there because he had to keep himself alive. When I go into those situations, I walk in there and I feel sad because I see the wasted talent and the oh, wasted yes. potential. The other point I want to make too is the fact that Māori don't have a monopoly on whānau. Whānau is about, for me, is relationships. So my wife's from a, a Croatian background, you know, delis and stuff. If there was a new baby coming to that Farno, my non-Maori farno, mate, there'd be cars everywhere. They'd be turning up, and who's this new kid? And blah 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 blah. And it goes back to that uh, that Parker uh, Fakatoki or proverb. But it takes a village to bring up a child. So mm. I'm not saying you know, you know, and and that stuff makes me happy. I've seen the product. I'm adopted. Okay, I'm adopted, not by my biological. Well, obviously, then I wouldn't be adopted. But <laughs> I was given so much. Mum and Dad were always there. We had no money and I had one of the best childhoods you could have in New Zealand because I had that basic stuff of love, aroha. The kai wasn't flash because I eat flash kai now, as you know. <laughs> you know, she was the meat and two veg. But I had all those things that made me solid. And, and even in the tough times, we were just talking before, even in the tough times that I've had, I go back to that foundation that my parents built for me. That's why I just think parenting is just such a big part of what we need to do to create change. Now, you and I have talked about changing society and changing the world. Um, you know, it's a bit like that boat stuck in the Suez. Is, is it the Panama or the Suez Canal? <laughs> Suez, Suez Canal. Yeah, yeah. Can we turn this boat round? We can, eh? Or we can get it off the rocks. Well, only if we knew. If we if, if if that boat was stuck and all we were doing is, I don't know, trying to wash it down, well, then we're wasting our time, aren't we? What we yeah. have to do is get the sand away from it. And, yeah. and, and like, So what we've got to do is we've got to know what we're working with. But what we're trying to do is sometimes, and, and we talk about poverty, giving people money, That that's a small part of it. But like you're saying, you didn't have a lot when you were a kid. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, we had nothing. I mean, we lived on a farm. We were self-sufficient. We, um, I had hand-me-downs, all the, you know, Whiteman's Valley used to give us all the clothes and everything like that. We didn't have money, but I never, ever, ever felt unsafe. I always yeah. knew that I was going to get a, a feed, that my parents were not going to hurt me, that I had brothers and sisters who cared about me, and I never questioned, I never questioned that safety. And that basis, like you're saying, is there. It, didn't, it doesn't take money. It takes community. Yeah. And I know that there's a level of money, and I get that. I get yeah, that. Yeah, that has yeah, to come sure. into it. But it's not what we have to concentrate on. We've got, we've got to concentrate on how do we create multiple moments of tolerable stress within attuned relationships. Wow. And that sounds simple, and it sort of is. And it's how, like you said, we used to live. If we go back to living naturally on the marae with lots of people available, with in people supporting me in yeah. the village, so that when I haven't got you know something to do or, or, or food or whatever, I know I can get it from somewhere and I can chill out and I can play peekaboo with my baby. Yeah. But if I'm worried I'm the only one and I have to go out to work and work three jobs, I ain't playing peekaboo when I get home. 
You know, and I'm probably saying, get to bed. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure there's <laughs> another glass left in that bottle of Chardonnay. <laughs> right, you yeah. see. And so when we start saying, but just a minute, these people are choosing to drink and not look after their children. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, yeah. actually, if I was working three jobs and I was coming home like that and my kids were feeling unsafe, so they were challenging me every time I walked in because they wanted attention from me and so they were getting at me instead of asking me to play games with them, they were getting angry at me, then I'd be yelling at them and that, I'd be sending them to their room and, yes, I'd be getting out that bottle of... Hey, they got enough money to buy smokes, mate. <laughs> they got enough money to buy smokes. they got enough money to, <laughs> to buy beer. Exactly. Well, there's a reason for that, eh? Well, that, and, and so we've got to stop putting these things in and saying, what do we need to do? We need to make safety and we need to create a space where if I'm a parent I can be yeah with my babies with my toddlers I I need to be and we're saying but you as a parent have to earn the money have that house and you have to have your own house I mean why do we need to have own house. Why can't we live in a space that's communal? But no, that's judgmental because, you it's know... That, it's, you know a, it's that hippie brain of yours <laughs> coming out again, love. Hey? <laughs> but, but, but we've got this ideal, this, this space. But it's it's simple, but it's complicated. Yeah. But I think we, 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 over, we overthink it. If we can get back to getting a space where we do connect and we, and we look after each other then I, even if I haven't got much, I can be with my baby. Oh. And and that's what we want. We want to be. And because if we just be, we play peekaboo and yeah. hide and seek and spotlight when we get older and you see all of these games. Spotlight, about, we didn't right? have those games. You are privileged. <laughs> <laughs> I spy. You tried playing I spy in Māori when you are a kid, that stuff. Hey, how much does modelling or our behaviour uh, you know, because kids will, will will mirror what we do, and Dad's a hard man, and he's resilient, and blah blah, and the T's, you know. All. How much does that affect the growth of our tamariki, or how much do they see? Well, if they're in their green brain, if they're in their green brain and they're able to be present, they will observe. And you watch babies are constantly watching these things called mirror neurons in our brain when we're little. There's, that's flooded with mirror neurons, which means every time you smile. Yeah. It activates baby's smile. And so that's that mirror neuron. So modeling is huge, is massive. And so, but if they're in a stress response, if they're scared, they're not observing. So they're not going to learn too much. They're just going to shut down and go into that red brain space. But if I'm in stress, Mm -hmm. if if I can make them smile by smiling, Mm -hmm. if I'm in stress, I can stress them. 100%. Yeah. Because they are you. Yeah, Our babies that. are you when they're little. They don't have their own ability to calm down or get away from that feeling. They are you. So whatever you are doing, they are doing. It's just that if we're in our green brain, we can reflect on that and see that and learn from that. And we'll we'll learn from Tuakana better than from an adult, which is, is a beautiful example. My my firstborn, Morgan, uh, I don't know why, but she learned to do her alphabet A, B, C, D, A, F, G. And, and it's, maybe it was something to do with the is way it, I... Is, is, is that wrong? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm a product of the modern... Uh, it sounds all right to me. <laughs> and so when I had Mason, um, you know, two and a half, three years later, I said to myself, right, I'll make sure that I specifically say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I'd really carefully make sure my E was an E. Emphasised. Emphasised. Good girl. Yet Morgan, of course, had learned A, B, C, D, A, F, G. And so when my son learnt his alphabet, he learnt A, B, C, D, A, F, G. Because he saw his sister. She was closer in age. Tōkana Tēnā. He, he modelled her more than he modelled me. Because when we see people who are closer to us, we see them as more attainable. Yep. So, so 
we we are influenced by our environment, but we're actually influenced by our sisters, our cousins, our yeah. the, the kids, and that's why another thing that we're missing in our world at the moment is this availability of all these beautiful different age groups. We put our kids into early childhood centres and we put all the two-year-olds in one room and then we put all the four, you know, like, and, and so where are they getting that modelling and watching each other negotiate ways out of it? Because two-year-olds do not negotiate no. playing with toys. But That's four, why they call the terrible teeth. <laughs> I call them the terrific teeth. Oh, killed her. Four or five. Because <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. But the four or fives starting to negotiate because they've seen the six and sevens. Do you see? And they'll watch. But you and I don't negotiate. We don't sit there and go, oh, could I please have that toy? But when we're younger, we do these things really explicitly. And so we're missing all these learning opportunities for our kids because, yes, they do learn through modelling. But we're missing all these beautiful opportunities of just hanging out, you know, in spaces, in our villages, where we learn these things from each other. And, and negotiating and facing challenges of other things. I've got another question here. I don't care if I'm going off track, all right, because because <laughs> I've good. got questions. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, um, a kid in sport is not a kid in court or whatever they used to. How, how important is teams? We always played in, in teams. We were always playing league or football or softball or stuff like that. You know, in those early ages, how important is that team thing? So, so what I like to think about, and for some kids, no. Some kids don't want to oh, be in a team, cool. by the way. That's, yeah. that's fine, and that's not, not a problem. What we want to say is, what do I need to be as an adult? Yep. As an adult, I need to be able to sit with you, to, to read your nonverbals. That's massively important. Body language. Thing, right, yep, the, all right. the nonverbal body um, things. I need to know if you're starting to get stressed, what should I do? And all of these things. But just to be in the presence and just to just to have a sense of, oh, you said something and that offended me, but could I you know, just tolerate that? All of these things come into it. You think about playing in a team. Yeah. About all the things that can happen there. You have to take turns. You have to encourage each other. You have to handle it if somebody drops the ball right on the try line. You have to go, actually, I'll get over that. You know, like, because I've actually done that before. You know, like those sorts of things you wow. think about. Wow. All of those moments. It's so simple, but it didn't occur yeah. to me so much. Because we've got to practice it. Yeah. And if we don't have to do that, if we've all got our own little iPad and we play our own games individually, you think about the learning on that. There is so much less learning happening in that space than getting out and playing a game of footy. And and even if you don't, I mean, we should win and we should lose and we should have failure and we should have all that sort of stuff. But there's all of those other relational things that happen in those team sports or playing board games yeah. or hanging out at the barbecue and us going down to the river and trying to fish with the piece of string and the, you know, like whatever, and, and go, hey, give me a go. No, 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 actually, I'm going to try one more time. Okay, you, no, actually, now I want to have a turn. And I'm going to establish how I can get that rod off you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's skills, what man. <laughs> skills. Nice. And that's what we have to have. Because if we don't practice it, if we don't lift the weight, we don't develop the muscle. Yeah. And this is the things that we're taking away from our kids because we're saying, no, you need to go down and you have the um, fishing rod for five minutes and then you have to give it to your friend for five minutes. No, actually, let them go. Yeah. If they end up having to have a squabble and they come running back because they didn't get a turn for the fishing rod, go well, go back and work out how to do it. Yeah. Maybe give them a good, bit of advice and help them do it. But off you go. Skills. Go back. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we're more tolerable with the guys in my rugby team many, many years ago than with the people in my family. <laughs> like, I will cut them a bit of slack because they've dropped that ball. Mm -hmm. But, some, you know, like, uh, if, you know, and 
I've done it before. You know, we have a guest over and they leave the door open. So you came to my place, which you did, and say you left the door open. And I didn't want... I was, Catherine, I wonder if you could close that door, please, and come and sit and have some food with us. Boy, close the door, mate. You're born in a tent. So I've got this beautiful relationship with this kid and Catherine's this new person in our whānau relationship. You know, sometimes we get that wrong too, eh? Well, I don't... I, I, I get that, but actually the beautiful phrase I like using is at home... Uh, we should be allowed to be our worst selves. And I'm not talking about arrogant or mean or whatever, but actually, when I talk to my kids, I'm not having the conversation I'm having with you now. I'm talking to them as my worst self. And so, and, and I'm not the worst, not the semi-worst self. So I'm not horrible to my kids, but I'm certainly not saying please and thank you. And yeah. I'll say shut the door. Yeah, okay. Because that's okay. Yeah. Because actually I'm allowed to because they know me so much. And that's safe. Yes. It's a bit like the thing when um, when our middle child, uh, he'd go out. And he's a hard, hard case, this fella, you know, when he was a little – he's still a hard case now. Um, he was a challenge, shall we say. And he'd go out to somebody's place and they'd say, oh, that boy, he's so lovely. And I'm going, hang on, this is uh, pure today. Have you got the right child, you know? But that comes back to that when they're at home, they drop all their guard, eh? Yes. And, and, and what I ask parents when they say exactly, oh, my kid does this at home, I go, wait, 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 when they're out and about, can they be? And and yes, that parent rings and goes, gosh, he's such a lovely boy. He's so considerate. He helped me do the dishes afterwards. He cleaned up that sort of thing. And you're going, why can't he do that at home? Yeah. But what you know is he can. You've built all that stuff in him. Yeah. But we're allowed to be our worst selves at home. I'm not going to say, would you like me to help you with the dishes? I'm going to try and freaking sit in the corner and you not notice me because I'm going to try and get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if when I'm at my friend's place, I say, would you like me to do the dishes? That's who you are. You've built that. So, yeah, absolutely. We can be our worst selves. I'm not my best self when I'm at home with my kids. If you turned up at our house, it would be a lot nicer to them <laughs> than if you weren't. And that's okay. Yeah, I like that. I Who really like that. to be that. in that beautiful, blooming, sensible space all the time? Otherwise, we can't chill. Yeah, it's just a house, not a home. Yeah. And I've drawn you off track because we were talking about resilience. <laughs> so we're going to close up again with resilience. And you spoke about, I want to go back to those early early points you made, is, a, is about lifting the weight. It's about going to those spaces, tolerable space, tolerable spaces that are uncomfortable and sitting in those spaces. So, you know, this is, no, it's the right word. So you get a bit match fit, eh? Yes, yes. And it becomes natural. Yeah. If you think about when you first went out and tried to throw that ball, you had to concentrate. Yeah. And then, like I watched Mason trying to throw on the opposite side, right? The, yep. the, the getting the hand in the right place, yep. the concentration. You do that again and again. Now it's just natural. Yeah. Now you can concentrate on thinking about where your place is. And so, if we can get our kids match fit with resilience, then they can go to the next level. Yeah. But otherwise, they spend their whole life trying to learn how to calm down. And if you're concentrating on that, you're not noticing around you or growing or becoming or finding yourself. And they so, fall over yeah. easier. Oh, they fall over so easy, which is so much. no resilience. Hey, yeah, Catherine Burkett, uh, always a pleasure, my spark mate, pure today here. But I just want to say one more thing. This is an over, Kath, Catherine, because I've got questions. <laughs> Perfect. Kia ora. Kia ora.